You are now listening to The Sound of Socialism. What? Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Sound of Socialism. Oh, man. My name is Comrade Nathan. <clears throat> You're humble and obedient. I think I'm the humble and obedient host today, guys. I, it's, I, it's the sound of socialism. Shouldn't we all be the humble and obedient hosts? Shouldn't so we share in the labors and the rewards? Up, I have to rise being, up against being the voice. you. I mean, I'm, you are the oppressor here I, as the as the longtime host of this show, and I've got to seize power. Ben this and is, I, This is really going to be an interrogation of what's been going on this whole time, you know. Ben and I? What do you what do you mean? You're including me? What what? What's going on? Well, I just figure we can seize power from Nathan and then I can take oh. it from there. Oh, that like you can take power from there? That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think, I mean, I don't know what could go wrong. Sounds like I probably will end up better off. Not not that that's the point, but you know, than I was. Well, I'll just I hope I'm allowed to do this. I'll just go ahead and say this is the sound of socialism. I'm Nathan. You're eh, well, I don't know what I am anymore. I'm, yeah. I've been disenfranchised. Yep. And that's rightfully so. That's rightfully so. The new comrade leader, Ben. Yes. And comrade leader, Jake. Jake is a pastor. Do we still have those in the sound of well, socialism? Oh, I don't, I mean, no, honestly. Okay. Jake's just a guy. A guy. He's a guy. As all we are, except for me. I'm garbage, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, so last episode, I guess we should explain, last episode on The Sound of Sanity, we gave a history of Marxism and yeah, communism and socialism, right? It was a savage beatdown. It was, it, mean, was it was a savage beatdown. Yeah, it was pretty sick. The facts that we presented seemed to indicate that <laughs> communism and Marxism were stupid. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not to mention completely evil and of the devil and stuff. Yeah, and explicitly so. Like yeah. they're de- they're 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 out to tear down western civilization and tear down god and religion. That all seemed pretty obvious and self-apparent and I thought we were going to go on our merry way. I thought that was, you know, we were going to have to come up with a different episode for this episode that we're doing now. But who should press what we at that time in those bourgeois days Man. called the devil's advocacy alarm? But what Jake, you would call it. Who has now renamed it. <laughs> the triple A. Yeah, he's appropriated the yeah, alarm. Right. And He would say it always belonged to him. Yeah, and well, yeah, yeah he, you, you're the ones that appropriated it in the imagery, for that matter, of yeah. the devil. It's the angel's advocacy alarm. Although, Nathan, I, I feel like I, that implies a hierarchy stop, stop. that's not going to... It's an inversion. Oh, okay. All right. The, the right kind of inversion, which oh, is oh. my inversion. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, in any case, Jake pressed that button, the Angel's Advocacy, the AAA, because uh, n- number one is... And if you're on the side of the Angels, you will be on my side. Just saying. Well, Jake, I th- you know, there's different opinions on what it what constitutes so to, to be an Angel. So basically what you're saying is that you're demonic. I just have a different... Do you I, not I just, think Angels matter, Nathan? I, mean, I don't... Obviously, we all <laughs> like Angels. I just... <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> I like demons. The point is, you press the button, which means yeah. you're, you are going to argue for Marxism now. Well, I want to argue from a couple of biblical principles. First is care for the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the orphan. It's a biblical principle, not just something you find all over the Gospels in the teaching of Jesus, where he's commanding the rich to give away their possessions to the poor calling his disciples to follow him and leave everything by, which is what Jesus did. He lived in a, a little mini propertyless society where they held everything in common, went from house to house and 
stayed where they could and didn't ha- was basically a homeless, vagrant, wandering, itinerant preacher. Okay, but Jesus didn't necessarily advocate any political system. He said, the poor you'll always have with you. Well, so I'll get there, okay? So the first, the first principle is that we are to care for the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. The whole Old Testament law is predicated on an understanding of we were oppressed and we need to not become oppressors and we need to care for the oppressed. We were the oppressed in Egypt and now we will care for the sojourner in our midst. Fundamental even to the biblical law is the system of understanding oppressor versus the oppressed and a bias in favor of the, those who are oppressed. Protecting those who are oppressed and in caring for, looking out for those who are oppressed. You're not to turn away the, the oppressed, the sojourner who's in your midst. You're supposed to, to take care of him. These are a couple of principles. This is the heart of biblical Christianity, caring for the poor and the oppressed. I, I'm willing to grant that if that's the only principle that we have, we can't get all the way to, to socialism and communism. But there's another principle that we need. And that principle is that we are all to be as salt and light, working toward a just and biblical society, a society which embodies and embraces these principles and understands them on the most fundamental level. In other words, we're all to be working towards a heaven on earth type of scenario. What we do is we take that most fundamental principle of care for the oppressed and care for the weak and the downtrodden, and then we make that the heart of our new political system an ideology that we need to be working for so that we can realize as close as possible heaven on earth. We're supposed to be praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And that's got to work its way through all of culture, all of society. Different people have different ideas and think that Christianity is responsible for all of Western civilization. I think that a true, more biblical Christianity is one that can see through and deconstruct all that's bad about Western civilization and rebuild a new Western civilization on more biblical principles. The connection between everything that you just said, Mr. Comrade Angel, and (laughs) communism is still a little foggy and spurious and not there, (laughs) in my opinion. Like you have to be, do you have to be communist to care for the poor and oppressed? And well, let's well, actually start I, with no, that. Well, I'll say that plenty of individuals have always cared for the poor and the oppressed in order to get to the most full realization of obeying everything that Jesus commanded, which he, you know, go and dis- make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. Okay. All nations does not I- exclude our political systems. And so the most full embracing of teaching everything that Jesus, this is part of the problem with modern evangelical Christianity is it doesn't want to teach everything that Jesus commands, and it doesn't want to disciple the nations. And that discipling of the nations extends from the smallest order of the individual to the largest collective order of human society. Our nations need to embody that principle. Our governments need to embody that principle of obeying everything that Jesus commands. And that starts with loving the poor and oppressed among you and caring for them. People can be on a spectrum of loving their neighbor, but the most fully realized version of that is going to be communism or something that looks like that if you don't want to call it that and in fact that is what we see modeled then almost immediately by the church in the book of acts except for not where they had all things in common with one another except for they had a little thing they, they had hierarchy the apostles 
and then they had deacons. Yeah, they were on their way. They, had... they were on their way. Theological principle of the seed growing slowly over yeah, time yeah, that know. will then grow and bear fruit downstream. And they also didn't have a fully articulated view of the Trinity. Which is why the so, Apostle Paul tells Timothy to raise up leaders and stuff instead of and, and it makes sure that that keeps happening and gives the church like permanent guidelines and patterns for committed by God for there to be authority and the thing, the things that are, thing, well no principles that at a time are going uh, to work themselves out over time in Christ there's neither slave nor free Jew nor Greek male nor female that's the principle that you're working toward but you have to work from within the society that you're in you have to march your way through that society over time. And right. so they were in a patriarchal society. And so they had to work with the conventions that they had. The Apostle Paul embodies this kind of thing all the time. The Apostle Paul, you know, he makes it sound like you can't be circumcised and be a Christian. Like you cannot go in circumcised. If you circumcise yourself, you might as well cut the whole thing off and you're no Christian, right? In his letter to the Galatians. But then we read he turned around and circumcised Timothy. Okay. So he had a principle circumcision is nothing. But, you know, when he's dealing with. Cultural accommodation. He's, he's making cultural accommodations well, all the time, depending on the it. It, it, sure, it, sure, the it, it, it sure would be nice then if we could hone in on what the actual principle is, because it seems like you you may be taking a lot of meat sacrifice to idols is nothing. Yeah, right. right. So it's just you know you make cultural accommodations, right? Right. So so you're just saying that we can say one thing, but then you've, we can, you've given we can us say the opposite <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> you've given us no principle for how to decide what is, is what is in scripture. What, like what is actually the seed that's supposed to grow. You ought, you ought to be called the emergent advocate here. It just seems like you decided on the tree you want to see well, the, the, the at seed, the end. The, the seed growing the slowly. Seed Listen, we, do you guys agree that slavery is wrong? I think we all agree that slavery is wrong, right? The I, idea of the seed growing slowly is an idea that was developed. The process of coming to terms with the wrongness of slavery and the abolition of slavery in the, in the 19th century, you had all these wicked Southern slave owners and slavers that were, you know, stealing people from their house, families and whatever, shipping them across the sea in the slave trade, all this wicked stuff, using the Bible and biblical passages saying slaves honor your masters to support this wicked institution. That's when people began to see and understand, well, Okay, there were accommodations made for the uh, realities they couldn't change at the time, but the principles that would undo slavery in the world were laid and sown throughout the scriptures and, you know, like leaven uh, through the lump of dough, which is what Jesus compares the kingdom to. There were principles like thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not murder that would have been uh, very much against the American chattel. Slavery. slavery true because it was based on kidnapping although it was you said white anyway you, you're getting some historical things wrong wait so you're trying to say that slavery is good in other contexts or what are you trying to say no, i didn't say are that you at all slavery <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> yeah in, in some context in some biblical context sure slavery right ha Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the wall, man. maybe it's a little okay, more complicated right. in the Bible than like a one-liner like that would allow for. And no, by the way, we're like we're totally anti-slavery. We're really happy that slavery is gone in America, and wish it were gone from Africa, where it's still there. Okay, but so would you go back and tell the Apostle Paul he was wrong then for telling slaves to obey their masters? 
No, God doesn't call slavery an abomination the way he calls homosexuality an abomination. And yeah, but he does tell there is a difference he, in the way that those principles are laid down. Free yourself, right? Yeah. And then, and the, but if you can't, don't worry about it because he relegates the whole hierarchy by saying that if you're free, you're the Lord's slave, and, and if eventually you're a slave, it will you're be the Lord's freedman. And beneath that, you know, is this idea that eventually, as these principles work themselves out, slavery will go away. See, well, that's where you're making a little bit of a leap there. <laughs> well, I, I think I think it's I think it's the fairest leap. It's a leap that you've made that I would most agree with. That actually, yeah, that's why slavery is gone from Western civilization today because Christian principles did work themselves out. But it's not proof of what you take it to be proof of. Which is that it doesn't mean there's these hidden seeds that are gonna slowly sprout up over time in the Bible. Everything that ob- obliterated slavery in the 18th, 19th, 20th century was already in the text of Scripture. It's not That's like right. that we had to riddle it out and let it sell. What let it? It is, and, I, and, find I, and its I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you that. That in the South, uh, speaking as a Southerner, I'll take some ownership and say we were blind willfully blind to the clear teaching of scripture as regards slavery and its consequences. But on the other hand, listen, obviously, you know, you're confused about the point. You want to say that you're anti-slavery, but also you feel like some tension about it, you know, that maybe I've got you in a corner. So I will be magnanimous. I guess that was obvious. I I will let you get out of the corner, but only if you will grant me that care for the oppressed, protection for the oppressed, for the weak, the disenfranchised, the widow, the orphan, the poor, is in fact central to true religion, true Christianity. Yeah, I mean... Pop- is, is that yes or yes or no? It depends on what you mean by it. Depends on what you mean by it. I mean, of course it is, but then the way you're using the word central, you said it was the heart know how you want to, I don't even know why you want to nuance that, because it is so... Have you read James? Have you? It's not the foundational principle on which Christianity is based. I'm saying, I feel like you're already off into... Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Savior is this, to care for the widow and orphan in their distress. Yeah. So, God and his words determine what what the character of Christianity is. And that is one of the main things he commands us to do. Okay. We agree there. Okay, But we don't agree that the heart of Christianity is that. Because the heart of Christianity is rooted in the death God's and resurrection action. of yeah Christ, the death and resurrection okay, but, of Christ. Okay, but okay, fine. The heart of Christian practice. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you that. I'll give you the cross. Okay. I'll give you the atonement. Whatever you want as central theologically, but in terms of Christian behavior, Christian practice, how we are supposed to then live. The Bible actually mm-hmm. yeah. provides a lot of specific examples. The re- the passage you referenced in James is about how we're supposed to treat a poor man or a rich man when they come into the church service. There are passages on how to care for widows, how to care for orphans, this Mm -hmm. sort of thing. That's all explicitly there. You're taking that and wildly extrapolating to say, I have to If somebody asks for your cloak, give him your tunic also. If somebody asks for you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Yeah, that's all there. And and, and then you want to say, ergo, you wave your magic wand and political system. Uh, and see, I have I'm not no to, idea why you're doing that. I'm not trying to wave my magic wand. I'm just trying to get you to see that, you know, there's this thing called American pietism that wants our piety to be relegated to just action as an individual. Uh, just me on my own and my own personal behavior, this truncated understanding of Christianity that doesn't have any bigger outside of me and myself, my own individualistic 
self-understanding, mm-hmm. self-determining, whatever, that isn't historic Christianity mm-hmm. and isn't biblical Christianity. Agreed. Right. But you've fallen into your favorite fallacy, Mr. Used-to-be-devil, the fallacy of the excluded middle. Where it's not just we either embrace communism and Marxism in all its forms or we're not <laughs> being pious in the way that well, scripture commands us. Well, no, I, I gave you before that, you know, there is some kind of a continuum. I just think that we need to get past this individualistic mindset and that once we do and once we embrace biblical principles and begin to think outside of the confines of our Western-shaped capitalistic framework, that we'll begin to see a biblical approach to working out biblical principles throughout all of society, it's going to see something that looks like socialism or Marxism or communism. Well, it's just that last sentence that I disagree with. I'll give you everything before that. Yep. Same here. <laughs> yeah. But, if, okay, if, so how if, do you, you reckon said... with as the like as the the very the apostolic church tries to work out Jesus's teaching? What the why is it that the very first thing that they do is they come and put all their possessions together and have every, everything in common? Well, why they, is that the why is that the very first thing that they do? Well, actually, the the first thing they do is sit at the apostles' feet and listen to their teaching all the time. And so you have the hierarchy emphasized. Okay, but Acts 2, that famous quote of Marx, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, is just a summary of what we see happening at the end of Acts. Chapter 2. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, tell me the difference between that and Mark saying, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. There's not a difference. There is a difference in terms of what's normatively right commanded of Christians, which is not to do what Mark said. There's no place in the New Testament where Christians are told you must have all your possessions in common. Actually, let me read something from Acts 5, just a couple chapters later. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't so he it? wasn't supposed to give the money. One second here, <laughs> Mr. Angel. Wasn't supposed to give the money? or Well, well, I mean, Peter says, you know, Peter's faulting him with okay, keeping money for you, himself, you, right? You literally cut me off right before I got to the money quote, <laughs> uh, literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal. So we actually have, if you want to talk about what's normative, what's assumed in the early church, even in this time of great... Communal liberality, com- maybe. Even, right. even in this time maybe of that. great communal liberality, we have a basic assumption of... Uh, private, property? private property? It was yours. You could do what you wanted with it. And we're not mad at you for keeping it for yourself, actually. The Holy Spirit, you know, you're not going to die. Everyone, I'm sure, I assume, knows the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They do die, but yeah. Yeah, but they're... <laughs> Got me. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to die. Simply because they kept the money, but because they lied about but it. Because they lied about it, right. Yeah, but here we are. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. These are the baby steps, right? And so... What we have is a pattern and principle of what Christ-like behavior, what Christian behavior looks like. Yeah, but you, is st- that you, you would still have to find some foundational principle, even given your dumb baby step thing, which I reject without further argument. So is it not commendable what they did? Is it or is it not commendable what they did when they sold everything they had and 
Well, it actually how, how you, you, see see that's the problem is yes or no? you are not quoting the words correctly, so I can't tell you yes or no because what it actually says is that as they had need, just like we see in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, individuals would go and sell things piecemeal, right, on a day-to-day basis as people had need. So they didn't simply pool all their possessions to start with. It ah. gives it gives you the general idea that they had everything in common to give you the feeling of what of how people lived and then it says it, it says they it says they had all things in common yeah. and then right beneath did they that, have all things says, in common or not <laughs> not in the way you mean because your definition of in common is not taken from the text as you would know if you read the following so you're just words. trying to truncate well like, okay that, no I, i'm trying to i'm trying to stop trying to, you from truncating scripture is it not a principle we immediately see the new testament church uh, in the new testament church that People are moving each according to his ability to each as they have need. Okay, but let's talk about an even more fundamental principle. But yes or no is yes or no question. <laughs> Can you answer my question before yeah, you move to another for, principle? For, for, for all that gets you, sure. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. You've proved nothing, but yes. You know, I think maybe some people think I have. It's nice to share. <laughs> you, you've proved it's nice to share. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Let's let's go to an, an even more foundational principle. Earlier on in the scriptures, maybe you'll tell me we've evolved past this, but <laughs> it, there's a little. Hey, it's a little aggressive there. <laughs> I'm Easy. sorry. I'm sorry, comrade <laughs> Angel. Uh, the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not steal or covet or covet. Yeah, you can't cure a man's heart. Get rid of the idea of possessions to covet distribute all things evenly so that all everybody has equity yeah but that's not part of what scripture tells us to do with our possessions i mean how do you propose to remove people's private property from them then which which, by the way let's let's be clear because i don't think we drove it home when we say thou shalt not steal we're assuming something which is yep private property like it's actually just a bedrock foundational assumption of of scripture and of life and existence and of the way that God's made the world. Insofar as there is a thing called stealing, I mean, God could have made a world where we all just share everything. So is... At will, but it, that's not how he it, made things. Is the earth the Lord's in the fullness thereof? It is. Okay. And are we not all his children? Yes. Is there not a sense in which we can get past the idea of this childish notion of mine? No, there's not because... We're taught this childish notion of mine and every page of the scripture. I mean, it's part of the basic promises to Israel, The cattle right? on a thousand every, hills Every man is going to sit under his own fig tree, we under all his need own vine, his own fig tree. Hey, his, more Hamilton, just like <laughs> last week. That is how the scriptures talk. They talk to individuals as well as to the group, because they do talk to both. And mm-hmm. they say, here's what's going to be yours, like your own wife, your own children, your own house, your own well, your own vine, your own fig tree. Let, let, me, let me say this. Can a group of people come together and decide mutually to hold all their things in common and to give things privileges and their prerogatives and well, for the common I'm gonna say, welfare? I, I'm going to say no because that doesn't, that doesn't, one, that doesn't work. It actually becomes a nonsense hash when you try to do it. And two... So um, wait, so you, you're actually just making an argument not from biblical principles, but from pragmatics? <laughs> well, I'm willing to throw the kitchen sink at you, Comrade Angel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think I think if a system like communism has been now, tried... Now, you sounded a little bit more like Marx here, or what you accuse Marx of. You know, if it's just throw the kitchen sink in order to get what you want, 
then... No, no, not, not not at all. By all, all I mean by throwing the kitchen Would... sink is I've seen this try to work work itself out and Where? I've seen it fail. Where? Uh, China, Russia, Cuba. I mean, it, where it's been tried, it's failed and Latin proved, America. proved extremely. The bloody history of the 20th century. Violent. Well, that's because what we need is a what what was tried was an atheistic communism. What we need is a biblical Christian communism. Okay, socialism. Well, if we need a biblical Christian communism, then I think the Which first think, step would yeah. would 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 be to accept the idea that there's private property since. That's how God talks and, and how he teaches us. That sounds a antithetical to... Oh, whoops. <laughs> Looks like that might be the end of Christian communism. <laughs> <laughs> it had a good run. <laughs> it had a good run. <laughs> I don't know that you can... I mean, just because theocratic Israel had private property to an extent. Is that the be- only reason that we gave? That we argued I don't think so. Fundamental I, principles based on the moral law of which God. Which is based on the character of God, which is based on who God is, his holiness, who he... Right. The know. Ten Commandments is the law of God. The moral law of God applies it to us then, it applies to us now. Okay, but is it not possible that at the heart of the command... I mean, you've heard Jesus say things like, you've heard it said of old, do not murder, I say, everyone who's angry with his brother. You've heard it said, anyone who commits adultery, I say every man that looks at a woman with lustful intent. Can't you see the possibility that do not steal, but I say to you, just as Jesus said, everyone who asks, in other words, don't desire material things. Don't desire possessions. Don't desire these things for yourself. Don't covet, which is how it ends. This idea of coveting things that are like... Things that aren't yours. <laughs> like, be satisfied with the things you have that God gave you, and then be sure to set your heart on treasure in heaven. This idea of eternal possessions. He's got to speak to people where they're at, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair to Comrade Angel, there are Christians who would totally be willing to respond to the phrase treasure in heaven and say, God is just talking to us where we're at as selfish beings. And to that I say, that's horrible, and you shouldn't accuse God of pandering to our selfishness. Whoa. Let's let's return just for a second to the Sermon on the Mount here. Oh, he's getting out his Bible, folks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've, I've, I've refrained till now. <laughs> <laughs> Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Ooh. I really like that laptop you have. <laughs> um, Will you give it to me? Um, or will you disobey Jesus right here? Well, now listen, this is the way that people abuse this text, okay? But what if we wanted to make allowances for the fact that people are evil, covetousness is a real thing, and help each other obey these commands to not steal, to not covet, to not take advantage of one another and defraud one another? Wouldn't one possible, morally permissible way of doing that be to decide to band together and eliminate the notion of personal private property to begin with? No. How would we decide who gets to use the laptop then? Well, we just have laptops for everyone. Well, let's say we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you're paying for them, I mean, I guess that's okay. But no, it doesn't work. In other words, if there's a finite amount of resources, let's just take this thought experiment forward. If there's a finite experiment, uh, amount of resources how do we decide who gets what when well that would be something that would have to be worked out i'm just talking about broad strokes and principles and how would we work it out collectively then how would that work 
as Who the would... defined and determined rules of our collective allow. We've not made it that far yet. And We're just talking the, about principles. What would those rules be? <laughs> I don't have to define that. <laughs> okay, if you want to plead the fifth, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In other words, let's say there's one laptop. Someone's going to have to decide who gets to use the laptop, right? You can't just cut it in half. Then you don't have a laptop. We could. We could just destroy it, and then we'd have equity. That okay. would be one possible solution. I'm not saying it's the best one, but it would be one solution. You even argued that that's a good solution, or that's a sensible solution, or that, that makes sense. If l- Let me ask you something, Comrade Angel. If if God gives us vines and fig trees, doesn't he also give us like laptops and Hey, He gives us and vines and fig trees and... to care for. Yep. We each have things and responsibilities in this world. That doesn't mean that we get to... Benefit from them? Use them? Benefit, sure, but it doesn't mean that we call them our own. It's his, it's from him, it's to him, it's through him. Uh, again, again, and, I have to go back to the actual the, words of Scripture, which And says, then for the good and benefit of others, it's, right? It's your own. So it says, do not covet your neighbor's, neighbor's wife. It actually leads with wife. Uh, do you want everybody to therefore be able to have my wife? We could eliminate coveting another man's wife by... Just sharing all the women. That's actually what Karl Marx talked about us doing. Yeah, or eliminating marriage. So you actually are just explicitly arguing for eliminating marriage because that seems like an institution that God well created. I'm just saying it's a possibility. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about how. Yeah, I feel like our work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Ah, uh, man. You know, okay. You know, maybe I wouldn't go that far. I'm just saying that if somebody wanted to go that far. I'm not talking about, forget Marx and the promiscuity and the free love movement. I'm talking about just celibacy, you know. Uh, it, it's better not to marry, but to give your life in service to the Lord. But but let's say, you know, okay, we make some allowances for things. We've been talking about material possessions, and the covenant of marriage is more than just possessions. The, the man doesn't own his wife. A wife doesn't own her husband. It's not the same thing. Well, I'm, so. I'm glad that he's... Nathan, I think it's a big step for him to be willing to make an allowance for the institution of marriage that God ordained from creation. I think yeah, that's, it's pretty big of him. That is big of him. Um. <laughs> well, look, in the new, the, nobody's uh, marrying or being given in marriage in heaven. Right. We're, we're here on earth. Though. Yeah, we are, we are yeah, here but on we, earth. Yeah, but are we not to make things on earth as they are in heaven? We are to do the will of our Father at, on earth as it's done in heaven according uh-huh. to the rules he's laid down for us here. Right. Which, include Did, didn't jesus say that it's better for man not to marry but that not not many can accept that teaching and he did right so again like i don't know what that has to do with abolishing marriage though since marriage is also a good thing that jesus well i'm saying made. it's something that we can move toward just like the end we can move toward the end of marriage just like we move toward the end of slavery was slavery was ubiquitous in the new testament yeah but, i think i think anyone who puts marriage and slavery together as things to be ended has lost all credibility because huh. marriage is something God made from the foundation of the world. Instituted before the fall. Okay, let's Therefore say, shall a man leave his Let's say I, I, I'll give you that. Marx, Marx was wrong and p- people like me who have toyed with that idea, people like me and Jesus and the Apostle Paul who have toyed with that idea <laughs> wow. are wrong. Wow. I'll, I'll give you that. We're stuck with marriage until the end of time. So, okay, so what? We got marriage in our communist utopia. Well, first of all, I'm sorry we're stuck with marriage. That is rough. That is tough. Yeah, it's 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 too Hopefully bad. We'll like, overcome did this. Jesus say it is Should better for a man not to marry? Yes or no? But some couldn't accept this teaching. No, well, his actually Jesus's disciples said, if this is the case with a man and his wife, it's better for a man not to marry. When they heard Jesus's teaching on divorce. Yeah, and then Jesus said 
He affirmed it. Yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus that. was with God in the creation of the world, where they created a little thing called marriage, and called it good. And for this reason, a man shall leave. Paul, his... I'll give you the Apostle Paul says that he wishes all <clears throat> men were as he was, meaning celibate, single. Yes, and then so the Apostle Paul does, and then this is what happens with Jesus. The disciples say, "If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry." Jesus says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Right, so the assumption is not, it would be great if absolutely everybody could assume it, only a select few people can. The assumption is a select few people can receive it, and good for them. Yeah, because actually, as it turns out, let's say that you you can make eunuchs for the kingdom of God, just like Jesus was talking about. Yeah, but only some people can receive that. Let's say that we give this to to comrade angel (laughs) thing here. Comrade (laughs) angel thing, yes. Don't dehumanize me, please. I'm feeling oppressed. We're elevating you beyond (laughs) human. I bet you do. Yeah. let's Let's say that we give that to him, Nathan, and then we say, fine, you win that point, even though you don't, but how about we take away everything that you think you won by reminding you that there's constant hierarchy throughout the New Testament and it's emphasized over and over again. Authority of elders and pastors, authority of civil authorities over civilians. But even if we just focus on elders and pastors, we would see that over and over again, Paul, Peter, writer of Hebrews, they insist on the authority that shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers have over the flock. Say over and over again, give me more than one or two examples that fit into a specific context. Well, several chapters where the Apostle Paul explains how the various hierarchies of life, man and woman, father and children, slave and master, work. And how they ought to work. Yep. Then you have Paul teaching Timothy and Titus to rule the church and to commend elders who rule well. Then you have Peter in 1 Peter telling the shepherds to do a good job of caring for the sheep. It's just all over the place. I'm glad that you've pointed out that ancient patriarchal Roman, Greco-Roman society had authorities in it. That's something that we nobody yeah. has ever known. That's not what understood. I pointed out, actually. I pointed out that the word of God commanded there to be authority among the people of God. It commanded people to conform with the... That's that's not what it does, because it points back, for instance, for the hierarchy of man over woman, not even specifically to do with marriage, uh, Paul points back to the order of creation and insists that that be followed in the church. That pattern, that hierarchy, insists upon it. Throughout the New Testament, what's insisted upon is that there be elders, which is an office in the church, not a pre-existing thing drawn from Greco-Roman society, and that they be submitted to by the people of the church. Context shows this in every case, that we're not dealing with conformity to a patriarchal culture. Hmm. Aren't we, though? I guess I find dealing with this with Comrade Angel thing to be thoroughly dispiriting. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> dispiriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so, Jake, you're no longer playing the part of Comrade Angel. Th- Did you have some Comrade Angel things you were really excited to do? <laughs> so. Oh, man. No, I, do you want to sum up what the devil's advocate 
was trying to say there so we can deal with it? Yeah, I think the devil's advocate was basically, he was appealing to what I think things that we all should basically agree with. Do we mm-hmm. believe that biblical principles ought to work themselves out beyond mm-hmm. the individual in, into society? Yep. Yep. Do we believe in a more full, complete understanding of Christian discipleship? Yep. And do we agree that at the heart of what it means to live out your faith with respect to other people is to care for the weak, the widow, the poor, the oppressed? There's a strong argument to be made for that. And so then he tries to link them together, say, well, then. But if he really wants to get to Marxism, he has to use those things to abolish the fundamental principle of private property and to demolish the fundamental principle of authority. Because that's what Marxism yeah, that's, actually that's does. Basically, that's basically right. Yeah. If you're advocating Marxism, you're not just advocating, let's be nicer to the poor. Let's have a more just society, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, I, I was going to try to go places, like, you know, if we got there, I was going to, you know, bring up, like, shouldn't we be legislating morality? <laughs> yeah, of course right? we legislate, like, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. should we mm-hmm. legislate morality? Okay. Yes. So if we should legislate morality, then what's, if we can forbid murder and evil acts, why can we not in a Christian society compel righteous acts? Like, giving to and providing and caring for the mm-hmm. poor. I was expecting at some point for you guys to say, these are things that should not be done under compulsion, mm-hmm. um, but left to the individual conscience. Yeah. And so I was prepared to come back. I was waiting for that to come. And then I was prepared to come and say, don't we legislate morality? And isn't there a positive side to that too? Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that to be a, a, a difficult, sticky argument to get yourself out of, because once you get into the practicalities of uh, civil government and civil, yeah, the, honestly, and, and, the, and the scope of things. Once you start to get into even the questions, I know it's a favorite thing when people are like, you know, taxation is theft. Well, what about roads, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what about them? Does the government have authority to positively and proactively do things? Mm-hmm. And once you establish in any way, shape, or form that yes, it does, then you've got a problem. Well, I, with the yeah. I- idea of forbidding the culture, uh, compulsory redistribution of of wealth. Hmm. You, you, I guess after that, if you had gotten us there, we would just have to take a while to disentangle church and state. I think there are good ways to do it, but not maybe short ways. Right. But the whole idea, what I, what I all, of course, really want to do is entangle them mm-hmm. in such a way. And let's be clear. Every civil society has its religion and has its religious principles. And so... Yeah, I mean, if I'm the devil there, I'm going to say, you think they weren't entangled in Calvin's Geneva? You think they weren't entangled across Luther's Europe? You Mm -hmm. think they weren't entangled? I mean... Yeah, and then then, do you really want to be arguing that they should be completely disentangled? Like, is that really what you want? Because then I don't know that you're advocating anything like a Christian society. You may be advocating a secular society that has a secular religion. And so the answer is no, we don't. And and then the devil says, okay, so where do you draw the line? Yeah, and, and then that's when I'm where I try to stick you into corners and mm-hmm. make you feel mm-hmm. bad about yourself. Yeah, and I just I I have to admit I hated that devil. I didn't really want to deal. I just just like is this exhausting? Oh, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Jake, you were <laughs> portraying him accurately. I think, but yeah. Um, maybe we should have pushed through some of that stuff so well, people could have seen a little bit more of it. But I will conf- I will admit out here on the podcast and not really having the heart for it. Yeah. yeah, it took a lot of energy 
I went that direction. Well, one, because off mic, you said be as nasty as you can Mm -hmm. (laughs) and hateful as you can. Mm -hmm. I actually felt like uh, maybe intuitively that 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 was it. That Mm -hmm. was the, that was the direction to go. There are lots of directions to go, but just, I mean, even for our audience, for us, like. Well, let me ask you this, Jake. Do you think the Bible is against compulsory good doing on the part of the government? The government bears the sword to protect the weak and the vulnerable from the oppression of others. So it's it's primarily defensive and retributive. That's the primary function of the civil the civil government. I think in First Peter three or one of those places, Romans twelve, maybe it says to punish the evildoer and to praise the righteous hmm. or something. Right. Which is an interesting, not quite parallel construction. Right. At the end of the day. Uh, the idea that we're moving inevitably and inexorably to some sort of utopia that can be constructed on a macro level is so wrongheaded and so bogus. And it's not that some of us here may or may not be post-millennial and have a hope or a vision for a better society or a Christian society, but there are no macro solutions to macro problems. When you have individuals who are incapable of understanding their own hearts and controlling their own outcomes, I cannot do the good that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. I myself do not understand myself. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How? Who can know it? Then the absolute arrogance of any individual thinking that, well, I can't understand myself. I can't understand my own motives and emotions and I can't control all of my own actions perfectly and conform them to my desires. But I can totally understand complex political and economic systems comprised of millions and billions of individuals and engineer them in such a way as to Mm -hmm. establish a utopian perfect outcome. Like the absolute utter arrogance Mm-hmm. And that assumption is mind-boggling. And it's no wonder that in the wake of that kind of visionary dreaming, as Bonhoeffer calls it, mm-hmm. the blood of millions and millions mm-hmm. and millions of people. Um, it's just insane. You, you, can't, you just can't do it. You know, even on the most basic level, Chesterton talks about this sort of thing all the time when he talks about education, right? Like you take a family where mom and dad are naturally disposed to love and care for their children and to know them well and to know their needs and to know their weaknesses and to know their strengths and are well suited you know they may not be the smartest or brightest people but they are the best suited to love and care for and nourish and cultivate these children okay let's take all of these kids and put them in a room with one person who has no natural disposition to love them and what do you get well with 30 other kids instead of five or three or seven what do you get is you get this sort of like mass production mm-hmm. where everybody who's exceptional, whether they're exceptionally bright or exceptionally slow, are marginalized and there's no space for anybody. People just get cut off left and right. That's what happens when you try to create macro solutions to macro problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, that's because I just, I think I'm, as we, the more we've talked and argued about this and gone through this, our Marxist script from last episode, the more I've thought I have a better grip on the category of woke versus unwoke because that is the, the hierarchy of Marxism that will never go away or any macro system like you're talking about. There's those who have the enlightenment, right? Yeah. To be like, and then there's those who don't have enlightenment and there's those you're trying to wake 
from unenlightenment, and those you're happy to just kill. So Marx is enlightened. He wants to wake up the sleeping proletariat, the oppressed mm-hmm. people, and he wants to just basically kill the people that he calls oppressors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Get so them out the way. Yeah. And so all of these systems do that because they don't understand the fundamental. Yeah, if you want to make an omelet, you got to be willing to break some eggs, right? It's well, the, it's, it's the lobby guards in the Matrix, you know? I mean, they work, oh, they work yeah, for yeah, the bad yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, they work they're, for the bad guys. They're part of the oppressive system, so... Just kill them. We'll just pull out our machine guns and... One way or the other, yeah. whether or not they know what they're doing, they're going to fight you. And so then you come back to actual biblical principles, right? Which is just as simple as, yes, we do want to see biblical principles worked out in society. But we start on the micro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we start by teaching men and women to obey God's law and to obey the natural order and to work out their salvation and fear and trembling. It's like you want to let God save the world exactly. instead of you. Exactly. Even back sort of to the more original question, okay, the state exists, the civil authorities exist to punish wickedness, to punish wrongdoing. The church exists to promote righteous living, repentance, faith, walking in accordance to God's law by the power of the Spirit of God. And those two institutions together with the family unit comprise the whole of society. Mm -hmm. And we work on the most micro level possible. Your local church elders, first of all, the family is best suited to care for the kids. The local church is best suited to care for the families that comprise a community. The local government's best suited to govern because it understands, you know, its community. And we work from the ground up. Mm -hmm. instead of from the top down. And we trust that the king is control of everything from the top down anyway. Very different idea. (laughs) Marx does make himself God. I mean... Yeah, he does. Yeah. I'm afraid some of our listeners... Or the state. Right now... Right, yeah. To maybe take things in a slightly different direction now, I'm afraid some of our listeners might be uncomfortable with the fact that we haven't actually made a compelling biblical case for free market capitalism I don't feel the need to make a compelling case for free market capitalism Uh, the basic principles of I mean Ben did a good job of defending you both did a pretty good job of defending the biblical a biblical principle of private property private property Mm -hmm. okay but at the heart of any kind of free market capitalistic understanding of the world is less uh, an engineered system and more an observation of the way the world works. Mm-hmm. The basic principle of whatever a man sows, that which will he also reap. You put in the work and the effort in cultivating and tilling the ground. If natural circumstances are favorable, you get a good harvest. But that's where Comrade Angel wants to say, okay, so the natural order, the natural way things work is that a woman wants to strive with her husband for dominance. It's right in Genesis 3. But the Bible says, uh, submit to your husband, don't do that. In other words, simply naturally mm-hmm. describing a process is not to say that it's moral good or, or what we should. That it shouldn't be regulated it in some regulated. way or another, yeah. right? Well, I would. Yeah, but to then go so far as to say. The Marxist then regulates marriage out of existence. Exactly. And then he regulates the natural rewards and the natural consequences of a man's labors. Mm-hmm. Out of existence. Out of existence. The natural rewards <laughs> and natural consequences of his risk-taking or risk aversion out of existence. And all of those things are actually just part of what it means to go fill the earth, subdue it. Yeah, and right. 
I, I, I will say, and I think this was a tension that I largely tried to bypass in all our devil arguments, but I do feel personally a tension with people who are too yay raw capitalism because at a certain point they seem to abandon the principle that the government does exist with the sword to punish evil doing. And there are abuses of a system that allows that kind of freedom. There are ways that you can simply lie to people, take advantage of people, not treat mm. people fairly. There, there are also market consequences of, hey, if you are a successful corporation in a free market system, suddenly you have a lot of money to lobby the government. And that's not a conspiracy theorist talking. That's just like, well, duh. Greedy people will use money to protect their interests. and Yeah, right? and the only thing I want to make space for there is that I think it's a little bit more complicated than we just need to step back and let the market always let the market do what the market's going to do. Yep. And that must be biblical because some notion of private property and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. Mm, yeah. I guess if we want to then take this down to where we're living today. So... In our last episode, we sort of chronicled these ideologues mm-hmm. from 150, 120 years ago, plotting what now is a phrase that we all know, the long march through the institutions. Now we live in a world where this sort of understanding of victim and oppressor, all of life is a power dynamic between victim and oppressor, oppressor and oppressed. It's all sort of coming home to roost. It's bearing fruit now in the world around us. And and therefore, people are suddenly aware that it's a problem. So, what do we do? What now? What next? I assume you have the answer. <laughs> I've got all the answers, man. Well, I think I said in one, you know, at the top of either this show or the last show, I don't have a lot of patience for the churches that are dividing over this stuff now. Because if they didn't see it coming and they didn't prepare, and like- didn't prepare their people and have not cultivated any awareness, any unity, any understanding of how to deal with conflict, and now they think they need to take a bold stand. Well, it's like, if you, um, fa- if you unless you founded your church around the time that Jane Austen was writing, or before... This stuff has been going on. You've done, founded your church when the enemy had already infiltrated the ranks. Like, you right. don't get to pretend like this is some new crazy thing that just surprised you. I mean, I guess yeah. that's how people feel, but... They yeah, okay, so, so then let's talk to the idiot... Who was surprised? Who was surprised? Because there are lots of us out there. Well, okay. I no nobody thought that things would be the way that they actually were this past summer. Right. That's that's right. Like with Black Lives Matter burning down buildings. What what always happens in situations like this is you can kind of see it coming, but then when it finally comes, it sneaks up on you. It goes a lot faster. You know, there's the slide, and then suddenly there's the avalanche, and Mm -hmm. suddenly you're buried. Yeah. under a mound of dirt and then it's like how did I what, what on yeah. earth so I think then the important thing is for us to not be reactionary but to sort of understand how to keep our heads and to mitigate our losses mm-hmm. and develop a strategy to recover and a strategy that's long term here's here's the thing okay pastor you've you've not dealt with cultural issues things that afflicting your people for however long the children of your church all grew up in public school systems and went off to college, and now they're all cultural Marxists. Okay, here we all are. Now we need to begin to teach people to think about the world biblically in a way that's complete. Mm-hmm. We need to understand that most people entering our churches today are going to be coming with Marxist assumptions. 
and it really just doesn't matter where you live. They're going to be Marxist assumptions all over the place. And so you need to be thinking about how to help people think biblically in all of life. And you need to figure out where and how to draw your lines. But you need to see it as part of your discipleship, is teaching and training people to think biblically about loving their neighbor, about what biblical justice is. And that also means teaching people to think, uh, to understand the, even the history of ideas and the historical context in which we live. And that's going to be hard work. It's uphill work. In the meantime, teach them to live virtuous, righteous Christian lives, to be husbands and fathers that reflect the fatherhood of God and wives that reflect the church and children that honor their mother and father. Teach them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Build the church, build into the kingdom, because just like it took 150 years for these Marxist seeds to really start to bear the fruit that we're seeing now, it's going to take work to undo all of that. Well, and yeah, yeah. And here's what never works, or here, I shouldn't say never. Here's what rarely works. Oh, I just discovered biblical parenting. Now I'm going to spank all my teenagers and burn all of our DVDs. And, do, and I'm not I'm not arguing that you can't ever drastically course correct and that God never blesses drastic course correction. Mm-hmm. What I am arguing is that when you've already lost a lot of ground, you can't think that one cathartic drastic course yeah. correction is yeah. going to get the job done. Yeah. Well, let's, not, let's, not, let, let's be mature in understanding our position and let's not be uh, the same cage stage idiot you were when you first discovered Calvinist thinking all over again when it comes to understanding anything about biblical sexuality or child rearing or anything about Christian politics. Well, I mean, the temptation for all of us when we learn something new or figure out something where we've been wrong is to hold it up in order to cover our nakedness and do that in a really rigid way. Right. But but that 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 has nothing to do with meeting people where they are. That has if to use the parenting example, that has nothing to do with actually realizing oh, I'm responsible for the my son acting that way. So now I actually have to think, how am I going to talk to him about that and love him? I'm now responsible him? for shepherding my son out of that behavior that I have led him into. That I've led him. And I think that's the nub, actually. I think that's that's the practical nub for all of these problems. Not that all problems In many cases, boil down the to American the same church idea. is responsible and culpable. Yes. Right? And so if you're waking up to these realities as a shepherd out there, you have to own your responsibility and say, okay, I've led people over the cliff and to the edge of the cliff, and now I've got to lead them away from it. I meant, what you're saying is true, but I meant in particular the nub is actually, will you shepherd them? Like, will you have that on-the-ground engagement with them? Well, yeah, I mean, in the, but that's what, that's what I mean, because okay. what I was saying is, and this is what we've seen, these so-called shepherds who are like, oh no, I've led all my people up to the edge of the cliff. I'm going to run away from the cliff and all the idiot sheep that are falling off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, and right. this we call taking a stand. Right. Yeah, and I'm going to call it taking a principled stand. Come on, three sheep that already knew what you were doing before we ever got here. Let's go do something else. You yeah. don't make me look bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now I'm going to yeah, I'm going to distance myself from all those idiot sheep that yeah. are going now off the cliff even though I'm the one personally responsible for leading them there. And that's just that's wicked shepherding. It's it's the mark of a false shepherd. And to, and to make it out as a, as a principle 
No, you don't get to do that. That's the mark of a, fa- a and, false and the good house shepherd father. Will, the good shepherd will judge father. you for that. Yeah, it's exactly. It's the same thing. It's the it's the father who has been an absentee father his whole life, gotten to the place where his wife despises him, his kids despise him, and then decides he's qual- he's called to be a missionary. Yeah, like we were talking about a couple episodes. Like we were talking ago. about a couple episodes ago. He's he's already avoided the responsibility, and now he feels like, oh no, I'm trying to be spiritual and godly, and these responsibilities are a hindrance to me. I'm mm-hmm. actually called to be a ministry, and if you don't follow me, then it's on you, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then mm-hmm. he, that's his excuse to leave and abandon his family instead of actually engage in the hard work of, you know, figuring out what it means to repent yeah. of 10, 15 years of abandonment, mm-hmm. right? Right? Yeah. Well, and I think one way to avoid that kind of arrogance and blindness is to realize with Marxism in particular that you're not above breathing the same air that everybody else has been Hmm. breathing. You have to ask yourself the question, where do these ideas, where do these paradigms infiltrate my life? Where do I see myself as the victim and other people as oppressors? What are the movies that I'm watching that support this that i actually think it's cool where yeah. who who am i bitter against who, who are the authority <laughs> maybe that has something to that do i with like to see. exactly what, what is the authority that i like to see dismantled that i get a kick out of who am i jealous down? of yeah who am i jealous of what do i covet whose property do i want whose fault do i think it is that i don't have it I mean, and, and i don't think that the there's one answer for all of us there's certain things that are culturally true of us but i think you cannot think that it's like feminism you know yeah, I don't want to discourage anybody from taking a stand against feminism, but you have to start with the assumption that you're probably a feminist somewhere. I mean, it's so I, I, I mean, ubiquitous I, and foundational to our society. You think you can just stand above it because you've got a couple principles uh, you quote on Facebook? Come on, we're we're all. I mean, you can just you can draw the line all the way back to the first brothers and the first murder. You know, the bitterness in Cain's heart that led him to shed his brother's blood. That hasn't left us. And it's the same thing that fuels Marxism. So, of course, you're going to find connections between Marxist ideology and certain ways that you think. Marxist ideology just gave, like, a new form to old bitterness. I will say one other pro tip. You know, we do our show, Sanity at the Movies, and we talk about movies. I'm pretty plugged into that world. It is ubiquitous in Hollywood, which maybe sounds like the most obvious thing. You know, we all know the lamestream media is lame, but you can't watch. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying things that everybody knows, but it's like whatever your favorite movie is, it's in that one. You know, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, in the right. movies that you don't like. I like, don't think that we really believe that, even if we know it. Mm-hmm. We don't. I don't believe that when I watch my favorite movie. I just enjoy my favorite movie. Yeah, but your favorite movie, like... They all think of this way explicitly and the critics and the reviewers and the intelligentsia that surrounds that industry and the people that work and you in can't, it. You can't, you can't ignore from Monsters in the Attic, like, here's one way that we're going to destabilize the Western civilization. We're going to appeal to sex mm-hmm. <laughs> to undermine the family. And if we can do that, then we can destabilize Western civilization. It's they're, why I think Brave, totally right. Brave New World, I've always thought, is a better parable for society than Orwell, than 1984, actually. And it's because in 1984, sex is basically outlawed, I think, if I remember correctly. I mean, they have sex, but it's very sterile. I don't actually think that's how most tyrannical societies achieve their power by 
repressing sex. Certainly not a Marxist. They don't achieve their power by outlawing and yeah, well, repressing know, sex. Postman wrote back in the 80s or whatever, whenever mm-hmm. it was that... Amusing ourselves to death. A Neil it, Postman, folks. Yeah. He, he wrote that, you know, Huxley, Brave New World, has already won. Mm-hmm. But what's astonishing is that Huxley's dystopian vision won. Orwell's dystopian vision is now suddenly possible yeah. in mm-hmm. a way that you could have never imagined in the 80s or 90s. Mm. I just started reading 1984, and I remember people mocking mm-hmm. that book as just being a really dumb wooden thing and all these dumb ideas like Newspeak and people forget the truth that was told you know an hour ago or yesterday or a week ago and everybody just sort of pretends like and it's one bit of controlled rage a day you know Mm -hmm. like all this sort of thing and now you read it and it's like (laughs) well that's not can't be and stupid that's kind of prescient like descriptive that's descriptive yeah Yeah, like that is it's just like it's pretty mind-blowing oh it's crazy well Um, and you know, know your history, folks. You read Christopher Isherwood's Berlin stories or the accounts of Berlin before Hitler came to power, rampant homosexuality, debauched sexuality. That's how you get to the scary fascist. Yep. And therefore, young men, stop looking at pornography. Yeah, you're really... I, don't, I just want to say you shouldn't be posting against Marxism on Facebook if you're still looking at pornography. Like, it's kind of one-to-one. You don't have anything to say about this if you Mm -mm. give yourself to pornography. They gotcha, man. They gotcha. They gotcha. You're part of the system, bro. Get woke. Get woke. (laughs) Awake from the dead, O sleeper, and the light of Christ will shine on you. I think that's how we say it. Then turn around and repent of your porn and Mm -hmm. say things about cultural Marxism. Stumble and fall and keep trying to be godly, but really do the work of repentance. I want to go back to movies again and to music because I think... If the history of Marxism proves anything, it's that these ideas aren't isolated case studies. They have real consequences in society. Ideas have consequences. They are the seeds that bear the fruit of death or of life. And I don't mean that in spiritual terms. I mean, like, people die or they live based on these ideas. And so we can nuance this in some other places. Listen to Sanity at the Movies to hear nothing but nuance of this. But yeah take your entertainment seriously man like you can't actually watch a woman kick butt in a movie without it having a consequence in your life of some type or another you can't watch these kinds of ideas propagated and promulgated over and over and over and over and over again without them having real consequences in your lives and especially in the lives of your children so be careful and movies is my thing but i think for a a lot of people especially young people it's actually music they just think they can listen to things that preach and catechize them and all kinds of things like this and that are catechizing their minds and their hearts but it's not gonna have an impact because i just like the beat yeah i'm Uh. not paying attention to the words all right thanks for listening comrades sound of sanity was produced that's right folks sound of sanity not sound of socialism yeah that was a trick if, if you were like, yay, it, they finally became Sound of Socialism. It was an Orwellian trick. It almost. was an Orwellian trick. That was a little bit of new speak for you or whatever it is. Anyway, it's Sound of Sanity. So go back to go. Do not collect $200 if you were happy about that Sound of Socialism thing. There's Ben. He's my friend. He's not my comrade. Well, I guess he is my comrade, but not mm-hmm. in that sense. Not that kind. <laughs> There's Jake. He's a pastor. Very much not an atheist. Also an executive producer on the show, as am I. 
Ben's a producer, and what else happens? Oh, you go to patreon.com forward slash, here, here's, you voluntarily give up some of your private property. Right. If you wouldn't mind. Yeah, if you want to. We're not going to make to. you. No. We're not going to seize the means of production. But, yeah, if you want to give some of your private property to us, it will enable us to creep, keep making this private property, which we give away for free to lots of people. That's kind of communism in action, isn't it, Ben? Wow, I guess it is, Nathan. Except not. <laughs> Except not at all. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity. Lots of great stuff. Until next time. Stay sane.